80% of success is showing up. And you guys are here. For those of you who are joining us online, you've shown up as well. Thank you for being here. My goodness. We've been working on a theme for the last two weeks and we're going to continue today. And it's a theme that's going to encourage us to consider um, life, to think about where we are and where we want to be, to decide whether or not we have any goals, changes that need to be made. So by the time we get to the end of this year, we know that we're different than we ended last year that God is at work in our lives and that we're changing. And that's what I'm gonna be talking to you about today. Joy and I, as I mentioned to you last week, um, have been married a long time, 32 years. And um, I just shudder to think of the things that Joy had to put up with for 32 years and still has to put up with. But we do things from time to time. I should say I do things from time to time to try to keep things um, uh, lively, energetic, to keep Joy entertained. And uh, Joy, the other day, we had um, been together. We went to the gym, came back. She's talking to her mom, and she was ignoring me. And I don't like it because she's talking to her mom. And, you know, she had said she was going to, you know, make some tea and do some things. And she's talking to her mom, and I'm standing there, and she's not really talking to me. And so I'm, you know, tapping my foot and waiting for her to, to talk to me. And I'm becoming more and more impatient. And so I decide I need to do something drastic to get her attention. So as I was changing, uh, getting ready to, to go about my day, um, I had this thought, and I have no idea why this thought occurred to me, except I enjoy harassing my wife, and it was that I need to send uh, Joy a picture of myself um, that's shocking so that when she's talking to her mom, you know, that she'll have a shift in focus and decide she wants to focus her attention on me. I know it's just a terrible thing to even imagine in your minds. I'm sorry for taking you there. So what I did is I did my best pose in the mirror, you know, like the youngsters on the Instagram and Facebook and all the things, right? The youngsters. And I took a picture of myself and shot it to my wife with my best flex. And, and I shot it to her on the phone. She's in the other room and she's talking to her mama. So I peek around the corner to see if she gets it, right? And I see her look at her phone. I see it hit her phone as she looks at it. I know she got it and she didn't even look up. And so I peek around the corner again a couple seconds later and I'm like, Come on, I'm looking to see if she got it. Did you, surely this would stop a conversation with your mother. You would certainly, you know, want to stop and say something. And so finally, you know, I step out into the room and I'm like, are you done? And she's just totally ignoring me. And so finally I said, what do you think? Now that's a terrible question to ask when you've been married 32 years, unless you want to know what the other person thinks because your filter has gone and your desire to, to soften responses and to protect feelings is gone. And she answers very clearly, and I'll never forget. She goes, not bad for an old guy. Um, there's a time in a man's life when you stop counting birthdays. Um, hey, I'm 40, I'm 41, I'm 42. And you start thinking about how much time you have left. <laughs> and those are the times you're like, I wonder how much time I have left. Not bad for an old guy. It sounds like my doctor, but here it is, my wife. So touche, one for her. We're going to be talking about that. What do you do with the time you have left? Because even if you're 15, you still had 15 years behind you. And we never know how much time we have left. If you're 52, like I am, you never know how much time you have left. If you're 82... No idea how much time you have left. So how do we make absolutely certain that we are using the time we have well, that we're leaving behind the legacy that God has prepared for us, that we're really winning? I was thinking about this whole circle of life thing. 
And I realized also that I had not introduced you to somebody very special to me. And so we're gonna look together here at a statement that I hope sets the tone. And but before we look at the statement, I wanna show you, well, I guess we're gonna look at the statement and then I'll show you the picture that sets the tone. From the moment that we are born, you and I are immersed in a machine that is designed to make us neglect what's really important in life. I wanna say it again, because it's gonna be a little bit heavy today. I mean, you have to be thinking and you know, introspective and you guys are fully capable of doing this. I mean, you're super smart, very philosophical. You're already thinking these thoughts. We're just gonna take a journey together. But from the moment we were born, we were immersed into a machine that's designed to make us neglect what's really important in life. And I, I was thinking about this when my son handed me my granddaughter for the very first time, my first grandchild, my granddaughter, Emery Lorraine. And when he handed her to me, I realized it wasn't just a little baby, a little human, a little body. It was a soul that's gonna live forever. And that she was born into a system, a machine, it's designed to make her lose, but the worst part is it's gonna convince her if she's not careful that she's really winning. So I wanted you to see her first of all, cause she's super cute. That's her one month picture. And I'm a proud grandpa, never thought I'd wanna be called grandpa until now. And it's like, man, there's another human I would die for and kill for if I had to. Let's look at the next picture here, a little close up of her cute little face. Now, that's her cute little face, little fat cheeks. It's cute when you're a baby, when you get the fat cheeks, not so cute when you get to be older. But um, my kids, my daughter-in-law, my son, they, they said, she looks like you. And I thought it was the hair that they were talking about. <laughs> But what they said is, no, she's got your forehead. You know, when you squint your forehead up and you look really intense and mad, look at the next picture. They said, that looks like her grandpa. And I, at first I was offended and I'm like, no. And Joy's laughing going, yes, it does. It looks just like grandpa. And this is when my son's talking to her about that forehead. Look at the next picture. There's Richard. See the, face, the look on her face? I mean, she's already got attitude, right? She's a little one month old, little one month old female with attitude. Can you imagine? You're born with it, right? It's not your fault. Amazing. But I'm thinking about this and thinking about the world has a plan for her. And it's not a good one. And my son and daughter-in-law, their church, their pastor, their friends, man, they have their work cut out for them to win at life with her and everyone else and to ignore the voice and the plan of the world around them. And it never seems more important to me or urgent than when I look at that little girl entering this world and wanting nothing more than for her to find God's best. That's what I'm gonna be talking to you about today. Now we have talked together about some really important questions. I asked you for the last two weeks, are you adopting a worldview of grace? Are you becoming more like Jesus? So let's just begin again by asking ourselves these questions. Are you becoming more filled with grace with each day or week or month that passes? Are you becoming more gracious? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you becoming more angry or is your heart becoming softer with time? Are you more quick to forgive? Are you still holding grudges and unforgiveness and bitterness from the past? Are you less judgmental than you were a year ago? Or are you more concerned with the little things, the externals, the things you can point out in other people's lives? Because if we can answer to the positive, the yes 
in these questions, then we know we're becoming more like Jesus and that we're really following God's blueprint, his plan, and that we're winning. But if the answer is no, we have to do something about it because the worst thing in the world is staying the same. And as we finish 2021, I don't want to finish 2022 the same as I did. I want to be different. I want to grow. I want to change. And so today I want to talk to you about thinking about the end. I want to talk to you about considering your life. Now you'll be asking questions to yourself, I hope, like what is life about? What's my purpose? What does God want from me? Am I hitting it or am I missing it? And if perhaps I'm missing it, what do I do about it? And those are the things that I want us to consider. And I'm not just going to leave you there. We're going to follow up on these in the weeks to come. We're going to be looking at a very special passage of scripture today. A very special passage of scripture that was written by a man named James, who was the half-brother of Jesus. James wrote this book mainly to Jews because he wrote it so early in the New Testament writings that there really weren't that many Gentile Christians. But he wrote this book not just to provide encouragement and instruction on how to deal with some of the most difficult and trying times of life, but in this book, there are nuggets dropped throughout the pages that the Holy Spirit of God inspired the pen of this human author, James, as he wrote, that teach us and remind us what really winning and getting it right is all about. So I wanna to talk to you about this and I wanna ask you how you're doing and challenge us, all of us, myself and you, perhaps to make those adjustments and live a different way. So we're gonna to look together at this book of James. We're gonna walk through this fairly quickly and I wanna leave you with an acronym about God's best. So let's look together at the book of James, James chapter four, and we're gonna be looking at James chapter four, 13 through 17. Now James starts off in chapter four by saying a very simple phrase. He says, now listen. Now it's important because you can read this with voice inflection however you'd like to. You can say, now listen very softly. You can say, listen up really loud. Uh, hear ye, hear ye would be more probably consistent with what the original language means. But this is important. And he's saying, listen, this is a different thought, a different theme. I need you to track with me. I want you to pay attention. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or that. We'll spend a year there. We'll carry on business and make money. He's talking to Jewish business people, men in this culture or tradition, in our culture and tradition, it would certainly include women who were making a living. They were planning for their future. They were anticipating the events yet to come. And you may be a little defensive and say, what's wrong with that? And I would say to you, nothing's wrong with that as long as there's more to that. And that's what James is going to explain to us. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I have lights that are in my face. I can't see all you guys. So I want to step here where I can see you and I want to see your faces. I want to read this part of the passage again. Um, you are a mist. A puff, a vapor like a breath on a really cold morning. And you're here one second, gone the next. 
James is getting our attention, right? He said, listen up, listen up. And then people are like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you've lost me. And then he comes back to this and he's like, here's a little punch to the gut so that you can know how important this is. He's like, you're just a vapor here today. And it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. I was thinking about this and thinking about winning, thinking about getting it right in the brevity of life. And you and I have seen many, many people pass away recently. Joy and I in our own lives have friends who've passed away. And when you get to be a certain age and the people who are passing away are your age, it's really sobering, right? Because when you're young, you're like, well, they're old guys, they're supposed to die. And then as you age a little bit, right, it gets a little more serious. But yet, even if you watch the news, we've had some very famous people pass away. Betty White passed away. People thought she was preserved, pickled, something never gonna die, but she passed away. Sidney Poitier passed away. John Madden passed away. I said this in staff meeting, and can you believe some of our staff members did not know who John Madden was? If you're not a football fan, I guess you wouldn't know. Bob Saget died. Remember Full House? I'm dating myself. Full House? How about this? The person who brought you cute cat videos before the internet brought you cute cat videos in America's Funniest Home Videos, Bob Saget. Bob Saget was a friend of Betty White. When Betty White died, Bob Saget wrote part of her obituary. And in this statement, he said, Betty believed that when you die, you get to spend eternity with the people you love. And he said, I don't know what happens when you die but if she's right, I'm okay with that. And then a few days later, Bob Saget, who was enjoying at 65 years old, by all observational purposes, good health, pretty clean living, had the performance of a lifetime, a couple of hours stand-up comedy in Florida, Went back to his room, two o'clock in the morning after he was done, put his stuff on the nightstand, cell phone, watch, laid down in bed, one arm across his chest, one arm just on the covers, probably just like you and I sleep, never woke up. And the night he died, he sent out a tweet and some reason it just really impacted me and related to this passage and I wanted to share it with you so I want to show it to you he said loved tonight's show in Jacksonville appreciative audience that's always great right thanks again to at real Tim Wilkins for opening I had no idea I did two hours tonight I'm happily addicted again to this stuff, redacted for church purposes. Check bobsaget.com for my dates in 2022. Now, I don't know Bob Saget, he's not a personal friend and I don't know his heart. 
And only God knows who's saved and who's not saved. Not for me to judge, I'm not about to judge. That's not my point. My point is this. Here's a man in the prime of his career, enjoying the performance of a lifetime and assuming that he has time to keep doing what it is he loved. That life is gonna keep going and that he was gonna be able to call the shots. And then he wasn't. And I thought of James who was quoting passages from the Old Testament and he said, life is but a vapor of mist. It's here one second and it's gone the next. What are you doing with it? And then I thought about winning. And the people who've passed recently, these famous actors, Betty White, huge contribution to comedy for years, Sidney Poitier, civil rights and acting, John Madden, who doesn't love the video game, right? Made offensive linemen a thing. Great coach, even better commentator. Document, documentary on his life. Christmas day, a few days later he passed. Bob Saget, prayed in our eyes, don't know their relationship with God, but I do know that the only decision in their life that really mattered was the decision they made about Jesus. And the only contribution that they made that matters now is the contribution that they made to God's kingdom. And it impacted me. And so I wanted to share. Let's break down this passage very quickly in James. And I wanna just help you understand what, um, what James means. And, and, and hopefully it'll help sort of open some, some eyes or maybe some windows into the heart and God can continue to, to whisper maybe some encouragement for us to, to grow. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or that city that will spend a year there, that will carry on business and make money. Now, the first thing is that the word say, you who say, is very important. It's sort of pregnant with meaning, this word say. For us, it's like, all right, I'm just saying this, I'm telling you this. But what it means is that you have evaluated all of the information that you've reasoned it out, that you've come to a logical conclusion, that you've made an informed decision that this is what your choice is. Now, the choice that he's describing, it's not condemning somebody for making some plans for the future. We're supposed to be forward thinking. It wasn't about what he did, it was about what he didn't do. And what he didn't do was he didn't live like God had a preference or that he was part of this. And what he did do was decide to compartmentalize his life and to say, my faith is here, but yet my professional, my personal, my life is over here. And God doesn't understand this part of me. So how can I expect those two things to overlap? This is my job. This is my family. These are my hobbies. This is my bank account. This is what I'm, and over here, of course, I have my faith. And God, I'm supposed to be a Christian, and so I'm expecting you to bless all of this stuff that I want and the things that I'm gonna do. But the relationship has been flipped where we live our lives the way we want on our terms, making our plans, and we say, God, you need to bless me. God says, what if you're heading the wrong direction? If you're not accomplishing your purpose, what if you're not living for me? I can't bless you. And James is beginning to suggest that we flip this script 
and break down the walls between real life and faith and let God be part of everything. Let's look at this next part of this passage. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Now, it's important to probably explain the words here so that you understand how these work together. The word boast and the word arrogant, I'll just give you a a word picture that helps you understand. What he's talking about is a person that's consumed with superficial things. A person who, when you talk to them, has nothing really to say about life, about spirituality, about their walk with God, about their contribution to humanity. What they want to talk about are superficial things. They want to talk about the job, the sports teams, the this, the that, but they never really get below the surface. The person that doesn't really have much depth, right? Maybe a lot of breadth, a real good person at um, distraction about never being still enough with another person or by themselves to actually contemplate these important deeper questions. And he says, it's like this. It's like a person who wants to promote themselves. So they find the biggest rock that they can. They go climb up on this biggest rock. They yell at the top of their lungs, trying to sell you on the fact that they have an enviable, perfect life. And what this means is that they're trying to sell you on something they don't possess and don't even know how to get. It's empty. It's empty hands behind the back of a loud mouth fool who's trying so hard to convince everybody else that they've won. But in reality, ticking the time down and living a wasted life. No, it's a little heavy, I get it, right? But it's okay because we're capable of thinking about these things, it's important, and we're starting a new year together. He goes on to describe this with a really important word. He says, all such boasting is evil. Now, this word evil is the word wicked, but it's also used in a little different form to describe Satan himself. And he said, if you wanna have an attitude this is much like the devil as you can possibly have, then this is the one that you should have because this and Satan, they're in lockstep. So again, it's very powerful, it's very strong, very counterculture. Let me remind you that the world is a machine. We're all born into it and it is set up in a way, what's well, designed in a way to keep us from winning at life. And the deception is it tells you that that's the way to win. But in reality, once you win according to the world's rules, you find out that you've lost because it's empty. So we back up a little bit in James and he tells us what we should be doing. He says, instead, we ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we'll live and do this or do that. How simple is that? It's really simple and it's very churchy to say, but very powerful to do. For us to be able to say, God, I no longer expect you to bless me when I'm about my business. Because after all, you're a God who only blesses your business. So help me to be about your business so that I can be blessable. 
what's your business for me, God? Moses asked that question. Do you know if I ask you who wrote Psalms, many of you would say, David wrote Psalms, right? Well, there were contributors. Moses wrote one. He wrote a Psalm, and this Psalm is Psalm 98. It is powerful. Moses wrote this Psalm. I was reading this thing today, and I'm like, my goodness, I love to learn from teachers who you think have a little life experience, who you know been through some stuff. Moses has been through some stuff. Moses was born well. His first days were really rough, got put in a basket, put in a river, got rescued. You know the story. If you're not a churchy like me, you've heard the story either, you know, through Charlton Heston, wasn't that Moses a long time ago, or Disney here recently. You probably heard the story. Rescued by Pharaoh, brought into Pharaoh's home, rescued from his daughters, raised with all of the privileges and pomp and circumstance of royalty, and decided that he knew what God's plan was for his life. And he said, God, I'm going to liberate my people, and you're going to bless me. And he did his best to do it committed a murder. And all of a sudden, his life crumbled around him. He said, what happened, God? You didn't bless me. And God said, you didn't do what I asked you to do. You did what you wanted to do the way you wanted to do it and told me it was me in the first place. It doesn't work like that. So Moses ran. The Bible says he ran and 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 he sat down by a well and he spent 40 years in timeout. 40 years. Where he was like, look, God, I'm an old man now. I'm probably not very useful. But I get it. I lived a lot of my life my way. Ruined my relationships, ruined my reputation. Thought I was winning, but realized I really failed. I don't have a lot left, but what I do have left is, is yours. Now, that's what I want you and I to say. My friends, whether you are 15 or 50 or 85, God, what I have left is yours. I want to live your way. That's it. That's all. Yesterday is gone. Today is now when you can make a decision to make changes for tomorrow. And we can be different. So God taps Moses on the shoulder. He's like, hey, I do got something for you. And he's like, well, I don't really want to do that. And God said, you said my way. And Moses said, okay. And God did something amazing through him. And this is what he wrote in Psalm 90. A thousand years in your sight, God, are like a day that has just gone by. Or just like a watch in the night. yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They're like the new grass in the morning. In the morning, it springs up new, but by evening, it's dry and it's withered. Um, in the place where he lived, the grass was fresh and strong in the morning. At night, <laughs> withered and old and, right? Not bad for an old guy, right? Withered, old, dying. The next day, new life again. This is kind of what he's saying here. What he's saying is if you try to accomplish your purpose in life, your plans, your way, you try to win the way the world tells you to win, you're never going to finish. You'll never be done. And it's crazy in the first place because you don't even know how many days you have. So what he's doing is challenging us to consider what it is God wants for us to do in our lives. Because if we do that, not only are we going to have enough time, we're going to have a peace and a joy and a freedom that nothing else can give us. He says, teach us to number our days. Let's go back one screen if we can. 
that we may gain a heart of wisdom. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. He says, establish the work of our hands, right? Establish what it is I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And then he repeats it and says, yep, I like that. Establish the work of our hands. My goal for you today is the same thing that my goal for me today and this last week has been, and that is to just consider and evaluate how I want to live whatever days I have left. And can I say before the Lord, can you say before the Lord, I want what you want? I want to give you a little acronym that has to do with God's best. It's helpful to me, for you, maybe not, I don't know, I hope so. It's an evaluation tool. It's a way that I can grade myself, my choices, my decisions to eliminate some of these distractions from this machine that Romans 12 talks about that's designed to pull my granddaughter and yours and you away from the people we need to be. Paul says in Romans, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. All things work together for good, the good things, the bad things, even the pandemics, death, birth, relationships, circumstances, opportunities, all things. God works them for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. There's four principles that I pull out of this. We don't have time to talk about them each. It's a message in and of itself, maybe for a different day. But the first thing that has to do with God working and God approving, and that first thing to me is the B in this acronym for BEST, B-E-S-T, and that is balance. I wanna to talk to you for a second about balance and also the E in this acronym, which is that everything works together in the kingdom. Everything is important to God, all of your life, not just parts of your life. And that God never asks us to do anything that's out of balance. But this machine of the world constantly tries to push you into a position of imbalance. We have to define what we want in life. I want to be a man of God. And some days I think I probably am. Some days I probably don't get it so right. But I know that if I want to be a man of God or since I want to be a man of God, it brings with it some choices, some understandings, what Moses learned, what the apostle Paul taught what James, the half-brother of Jesus, who followed Jesus later in his life, what he knew. And that is that God never calls us to a point, leads us to a place where we're out of balance. I wanna be a man of God, what's that mean? It means that God has to be first in my life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor just like you love yourself. So if I want God to be number one, that means my relationships have to be right. I wanna be a, a godly husband, which means that God never calls me to do anything in my life that throws my relationship with my wife out of balance. That if anything comes up in my life that's going to cause me to ignore or neglect my wife, it's not of the Lord. So I make choices 
which means sometimes it's to protect myself from things, right? There are boundaries that we set in our lives that sometimes people don't understand because we want these kinds of relationships. We want to do it God's way. Sometimes we do things, put things into our life and relationship that the world doesn't understand. But we do it because of what we want. We want to do things God's way. I want to be a godly employee, a person who's faithful in the career that God's given me, the ministry, just like you do. But it means that you're never going to allow yourself to be pushed into or promoted beyond the place where there's godly balance in your life, even for a period of time. One of the most subtle traps and dangers of Satan himself is to tell us that imbalance is okay because it's temporary. And as soon as we make these choices and say it's just for a season, it's just until next month, it's just until next year, it's just until and we find ourselves with a choice that becomes a habit, that becomes character, and we look back years down the road wondering what happened. Everyone else sees it, but we've been blind. As a parent, I want to be a godly parent. Now, I had children that were in my home and I had a whole lot more influence on them. Now I don't have quite as much influence, although I try. But we have kids and we say we want our kids to be little men and women of God. But do you know the world has a plan for your kids? Our school districts get 40 hours a week educating your kids. A lot of it's good, some of it's not. It's the way it's supposed to be, right? Not a Christian school district or system. Just the way it is. The internet, social media, another 40, whatever they happen to catch on TV. But I want my children to be good at God. I want them to be little men and women of God who have a relationship with him that's personal, that don't just keep them from making bad decisions that are made in junior high and high school that sometimes life can't out unlive, but to make a contribution by being a salt and a light in the world around them. And sometimes it means I have to make hard choices as a parent because they only get one hour a week to be in church. And an hour on Wednesday evenings for a youth group. And I have to choose among all of the different competing options as to what's the best and what do I really want. Balance and everything matters. It's hard, but these are the choices and the steps that we take to really win at life. The S in best is to stop. I like to stamp my foot. Stop, right? That wasn't very loud. Stop, stop. To stop and think. How many of us don't stop and think? To stop and reflect, to stop and introspect, to stop and have these hard conversations with yourself and other people if they'll talk to you. Because we don't. We run along the hamster wheel of life staying busy and preoccupied, doing our very best not to think the deep thoughts, anesthetizing ourselves into irrelevance. And then the T means thank you. Now it seems kind of dumb, I think, to have thank you at the end unless you're really thinking about it, but thankfulness really indicates a heart that has stopped to contemplate the blessings that God's given us, the opportunities. 
A thankful heart is not a heart that focuses on the past and is preoccupied with the mistakes of yesterday. A thankful heart is a thankful heart that's thankful for the forgiveness we've received from God if we've asked for it and the fact that we have a today to get it right and a tomorrow to make a difference. That sure, there's more we want in our lives, but we have enough what we need. Thank you, God, that you've given me a measure of influence with the people who are closest to me. Thank you, God. A person who can say thank you and mean it is a powerful person, a person that you can see is winning at life. God's best, but God's best is a choice. And the choice literally, as the apostle Paul tells us in Romans 12, is to not be conformed to the image or the machine of the world, but be transformed by stepping out and living a different direction. Then you'll find what God's good, pleasing, and will is, and you'll be free, my friends. I had the chance to spend about 20 minutes, 25 minutes, with one of our senior adults, super sweet lady, I hope she's watching online today. She's gonna be with Jesus soon. Um, the doctors, doctors are smart people, but they call it practice for a reason, right? It's a medical practice. They guess, they've given her 30 days, they guess, they don't know. So I was able to sit with her, this little hospital room on the fifth floor, Mercy Hospital downtown. I was able to look at her. She's smiling at me. I said, Are you, do you have peace? Are you ready? She goes, Pastor Rick, it's funny. She said, God's timing's weird. This is the way she starts the conversation off. I mean, this was a worship service. I wasn't ready for it. I was going to minister to her. It didn't work that way at all. This lady, I mean, I walked away from there going, that's what I want. She goes, Pastor, you don't know. God's timing's just weird. She says, you know, sometimes we think we have all the time in the world. And then we realize we don't. And then she said, now I just wish Jesus would take me and he won't, I'm still here, I'm waiting. And she goes, I just wish he'd come get me now. And I said, do you have peace? And she goes, oh, I have peace. Are you ready? Oh man, I'm ready. We talked about heaven. When I walked away, thank you so much for coming. Can't wait to be with the Lord. This stuff is real. We don't count our days. Life is but a breath, right? But we are responsible for what we do with the days we have left. Father, thank you for my friends.